Okay, so uh, back in James, last week we covered all of uh, James 1, uh, the first half of uh, the, the James 1, uh, verse 1. And uh, so now we're going to go through uh, verse 8. So James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I'll read that now. Uh, he begins, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, or he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So praise God for his word. So again, uh, last week we began our study of the book of James by talking about James himself, James the man. And, and despite uh, being Jesus' brother and, and being the leader of the Jerusalem church, uh, James introduces himself very humbly in his opening greeting as a servant or slave. He calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what G James meant by servant-slave, who, who is one who has willingly sold himself into slavery, someone who willingly becomes a slave or a servant of someone else. And, and, and James uh, dedicated the rest of his life to following Jesus, uh, helping to grow the church, and then, of course, uh, spreading the gospel. So James uh, goes from an unbelieving, uh, stubborn sibling to being a sold-out servant with his relationship with Jesus. And I have to mention also that after uh, James identifies himself as the writer of the letter, James also identifies his audience. He writes, To the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Uh, the Good News version of the Bible says, Greetings to all God's people scattered over the whole world. Greetings to all God's people scattered over the whole world. So most, most scholars agree here that, that James was referring to both Jewish and uh, Gentile Christians who have been scattered around the, the Roman Empire because of some form of uh, persecution. And so as the early church grew in Jerusalem, well, so didn't the opposition and um, persecution grew and the Christians dispersed or spread out, uh, seeking to avoid the persecution. So here, here we have a sold-out Christian uh, writing to a bunch of spread-out Christians talking about how to stand out as a Christian, especially when facing trials. And with this morning's passage, verses uh, 2 through 8, James is telling us how to respond when facing trials. Uh, or when being tested. And James offers four ways in which we can respond when facing trials. In verse 2, James says, Count it all joy. 
count it all joy when facing uh, testing or trials. In verse 3, he says, know, know that testing produces steadfastness. Verse 4, he says, let, let steadfastness result in completeness or maturity. And verse 5, ask, he says, ask God in faith for wisdom and guidance. So those four responses to trials are count, know, let, and ask. And you, you can see I got those right from, right from the verses. Four responses, count, know, let, and ask. And, and when, when reading the Bible, as you know, it's helpful to ask the question, well, so what? Or, or how does this apply to me? Uh, in other words, is there, is there a sin to avoid? Uh, is there a promise of God to claim? Uh, is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? Or is there knowledge about God or myself that I need to learn? And if it's helpful, uh, that um, spells out the word spec. Uh, sin to avoid, uh, promise of God to claim, example to follow, command to obey, or knowledge about God or myself that I need to learn. So for our passage this morning, there is a command to obey. James says, count it all joy when facing trials. And with an explanation as to what that means following. He says, know that testing produces steadfastness and let steadfastness result in completeness or maturity. And then there's a sin to avoid, which is doubting. Doubting's not in, the, in there. Uh, well, doubting is in there. But doubting is the opposite of faithfully asking God in wisdom. So doubting is, is the opposite of faithfully asking God. So let's talk about the command. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And then we'll talk about the benefits of obeying the command. So you have to agree that this, this command doesn't seem very appealing. You know, why should we be joyful? Why should we count it all joy when we're experiencing trials? I mean, I can't remember a time when I or anyone else I knew uh, did the jiggy dance uh, when they experienced uh, some sort of trial or, or difficult testing. Although I do recall a couple of times in my uh, previous work history getting laid off and going into the car and giving it a big yes <laughs> because I didn't like that job. Um, and that's because the, uh, the jiggy dance wasn't invented yet, I guess. Um, so, and I remember going home and, and telling my wife, and she did a yes also. And then, you know, a day later, we was like, all right, wait a minute. We're kind of unemployed here. But, you know, God took care of that. So what exactly does James mean when he says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds? Well, first of all, when James says count, he means consider or evaluate. In other words, James wants you to consider that even though trials and testing may be uncomfortable or downright painful, consider, first of all, that they, they won't be forever. Hey, Lehia. <laughs> I just noticed. And Peter. Um, that testing may be uncomfortable 
or uh, downright painful, but consider that they won't be forever, but also consider that they have a purpose. And also when, when James is talking about trials or tests, he's talking about what you might call low-level uh, persecutions, uh, trials or, that test your personal faith or that test your loyalty to Christ or test your commitment to biblical truth. James isn't really talking about an extreme form of persecution like imprisonment, or torture, or death. It's sort of like someone in school who, who seeks to stand up for his or her faith or, or who, is, who is committed, uh, to, has made a commitment to biblical purity and, and gets teased or harassed for that. Or, or they get excluded from things or, or falsely accused of being a hater uh, for defending a biblical principle like marriage between a man and a woman. It's painful. It hurts. And, and it's also a form of persecution. And in those instances, you're experiencing a testing of your faith. And, and James says, consider the purpose of these trials. And of course, a perfect example of that is Jesus when he was tested in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and, and he was able to resist, resist these tests that were put upon him by Satan and was found worthy to be the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Uh, one test, Jesus declared his trust and obedience to God his Father. In another test, Jesus declared that he would worship God alone and no other. And another test, Jesus declared that he would not question God's authority or his sovereignty. And in all of these tests, Jesus appealed to God's word. He appealed to scripture. And, and of course, Jesus uh, appealed, uh, used uh, specifically Deuteronomy. And then he was strengthened as he went along by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus himself, when tested, he faithfully responded with steadfastness or, or patient endurance, maturity, and wisdom. And all these responses are what James talk, talks about in our passage. All these responses require wisdom provided by God. And all these responses are evidence of faith. And when the, when the verse says when you meet trials, it means when and not if. So as we all know and as we've all experienced, being a Christian uh, doesn't mean that life is going to be all potato chips and the beach. And I say that because potato chips and the beach are two of my favorite things. Uh, so James is saying you will face trials and tests and temptations. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation. And obviously right now, the larger church, the capital C church, is, is going through a test uh, at our, right now. And, and many churches around the country and around the world are still not able uh, to meet in person. And other churches have lost uh, members, uh, loved ones, uh, to COVID-19. And through it all, the church is being tested in many ways. It's being tested financially. Uh, it's being tested in their their unity, uh, their patience uh, for one another, being tested in their trust 
for the Lord and, and, and on and on. And, and James does point out that our trials and tests will be of various kinds. Uh, in Acts, uh, Paul went around, Acts 14.22, he went around strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. But we can be encouraged because James uh, doesn't leave us hanging there. Uh, he, he doesn't write, you know, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds and then end it there and move on to another subject. Uh, James uh, continues with four in verse three. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith has a purpose. The testing produces something, and James calls it steadfastness. Uh, in, instead of the word steadfastness, some Bibles use the words patience or endurance. Uh, so we might say that the testing of our faith produces patient endurance. So there's, there's a purpose to our trials and our testings, and, and one purpose is to produce patient endurance. And, and you can think of it as, as training. Uh, Steve and Dave, you'll appreciate this. Uh, you know, let's say you have the goal of, of running the Boston Marathon, which is 26.2 grueling miles. And, and when you're training, you're working up to that goal. You know, first you start out with five miles, and then, you know, maybe 10 miles. You move on up to 15 and so on. The, uh, the Boston Athletic Association, which actually uh, uh, runs the uh, marathon, lists a 20-week training program uh, for novices. And for them, a novice is, is someone who can um, easily uh, already run five to six miles. So starting from that, they offer a 20-week training program. So you, you have to be patient as while your body builds up the strength and stamina, but you also have to endure because training for a marathon isn't easy. It takes time, it takes dedication, it takes sacrifice, it, it takes patient endurance, uh, steadfastness. I know uh, one of the reasons I don't like to run is I don't have the patience. It's kind of boring to me, no offense. With a bike, you can go further. Uh, but, you know, whenever, whenever we're tested, in a sense, we're in training. Uh, we're, we, we're building and strengthening our faith muscles, uh, as it were. And building and strengthening our faith muscles uh, results in maturity, uh, which brings us to the next response. So again, we are to count it all joy when we're tested. We are to know that testing produces steadfastness or, or patient endurance, we are to let our, patience, our patient endurance result in maturity. Verse 4 says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So now it goes without saying that, that none of us will ever be uh, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing this side of, of heaven you know, until Jesus returns and brings us uh, to heaven with him. So what does James mean by this? 
Well, just like training with the goal of running in a marathon and, and completing the marathon, being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, is the goal. It's the end result of our testing. And even though for us, again, that, that perfection and completeness can't be obtained in this present life, we're commanded to strive for it anyway. I mean, Jesus tells his disciples, and by extension us, he says in Matthew 5:48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, Jesus had a specific context there, um, but the general idea is, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So how on earth, and I mean that literally, how on earth are we to be perfect like God? So again, it's important to realize that this is a goal. It's something to strive for, and even then, uh, we desperately need the help of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, God promises that help to us. So look at it this way. For example, if Jesus tells you to love your neighbor, uh, but your neighbor's a complete jerk, so loving your neighbor isn't always easy. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we might think it's impossible, but we, we're to strive to love that person anyway. Uh, even if for us, uh, you know, loving our neighbor, whether it's, you know, literally our neighbor or a guy at work or a person at school, even if loving our neighbor is simply praying for that person. So the goal, loving your neighbor or being like Jesus, it might seem impossible, yet we're still commanded to set that as a goal, to strive for it, to train for it uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And finally, James uh, gives us a tool to use when being tested. Verses 5 through 8. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the tool James is telling us to use is wisdom, the wisdom of God. When we're facing trials, when our, when our faith is being tested, we're to patiently endure, to strive for maturity in our walk with Jesus, and to ask God for wisdom. And with God's wisdom, then we can use our testing and use our trials to help us to grow spiritually, and, but also to help us to advance God's kingdom, uh, such as you know, sharing this testimony of how God brought you through this trial, you know, sharing that testimony with a friend or, or neighbor. And I like these four verses, especially because they teach us as much about God as they do about our, how we are to seek God. We're to seek God, asking for wisdom, asking for help, and making sense of our trials, asking for wisdom on how to best respond to our trials. And in the Bible, we find many examples of, of people seeking wisdom from the Lord in the, in the face of trials. Just a few. In, in Genesis uh, 25, 22, Rebecca asks God why her pregnancy is so difficult. Second Samuel 21, 1, David wants to know why, 
Why is there a famine in the land? Famine in Israel. And even Jesus asked God for guidance in, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he, he asked if there is another way to the cross. And of course, you know, he also said, not your will, Lord. I mean, not my will, Lord, but yours. So if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. But don't doubt, verses 6 through 8. Don't doubt. Why doubt a God who has never failed in the past and will never fail us in the future? James says, if you ask God for wisdom and then doubt that will give it to you, why bother asking in the first place? What's the point? And, and, and that's the sin to avoid. Doubting is the opposite of faith. Doubting is the opposite of believing. Uh, on the other hand, Romans 4.20 tells us that not doubting, not doubting is the same as being fully persuaded, fully persuaded that God will do as he promised. So to ask God for wisdom in faith means coming before God with the right attitude. An attitude of, okay, God, I will accept whatever kind of wisdom in whatever way you want, and I'll, I'll accept that wisdom as the best possible wisdom for that whatever situation I'm in. And then, what will happen if you ask God for wisdom? The verse reads, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously, who gives generously to all, and without reproach. Generously to all, without reproach. In the Greek, this verse means literally, let him ask from the giving God. Let him ask from the giving God. That's our God, the giving God. Amen? So along with God's many other attributes, loving, gracious, merciful, uh, long-suffering, just, God is equally a giving God. And not only that, James tells us that God gives generously. The idea of generously here has, has a much deeper meaning back in, in James' time. It's a combination of two ideas, a singleness and a selflessness. There's, there's a single-minded concern for the other person, a preoccupation with the other person, and it's a mind set on a single task, as if there wasn't anything else as important uh, in the world. So our, our generous God, our giving God, gives with a, a selfless, single-minded concern for us, an exclusive focus on us, as if there was nothing else in the world as important as to give and give. And along with that, our God gives wisdom generously to all, to anyone who asks. And finally, God gives generously to all without reproach. Without reproach means that God, God won't think you're stupid for asking. He won't, he won't think you're ignorant. He won't think you're weak. Uh, he won't get angry or annoyed or disappointed um, in believers who, who seek wisdom in the midst of their trials. In other words, God will not turn you away. So now we circle back to the original command. The original command from verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Consider the value 
of the times of testing. Consider how you will grow spiritually as your faith is strengthened, as you patiently endure, as you acquire wisdom from God. And also consider that your time of testing will be short. It'll be short compared to the eternity in heaven that's prepared for you by Jesus. Count it all joy. And too often, we look for ways to escape our trials. We, we look for ways to escape our times of testing instead of, of looking to God and, and His Word for ways to endure the trials and, and, and ways to help us to grow and to stand up under them. The joy James is talking about isn't about feeling. It's not about feeling. Trials don't usually bring a smile to our faces or make us feel good. James isn't saying that we should put on a happy face, ignore our pain, ignore our heartache and suffering, and pretend that everything is okay. When James says count or consider it all joy, he's, thinking, he's talking about a way of thinking and not feeling. He's saying that yes, our faith will be tested, but God will be there with us. And our trials and our testings are under the authority of a sovereign God who is accomplishing His purposes through them. And again, there's no greater trial or test than what Jesus patiently endured on the cross. Incredibly, even though the disciples of Jesus couldn't see it at the time, Jesus dying on the cross was under the authority of a sovereign God who was accomplishing a purpose. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't feel happy or joyful about getting beaten and nailed to the cross and suffering the way He did. But He was able to count it all joy in His mind because He trusted God His Father and God's greater purpose, which was the salvation of mankind. Hebrews 12.2 says, Because of the joy awaiting Him, He, Jesus, endured the cross. Because of the joy awaiting Jesus, He endured the cross, securing our salvation by paying our debt so that if we only believe, we will be saved. Praise God.